Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Well, we've been for the past two weeks emphasizing Advent, the dark night of waiting, and we've described two kinds of waiting. Our waiting can be a sort of futility, or it can be a waiting as we described last week, that is confronted with the overwhelming darkness of the world. The madness of human destructiveness can seem irresolvable. But at Christmas, we rejoice that we've seen the light in the midst of the darkness. The smallness of the light, the Christ child as an infant, perhaps our own smallness, does not take away from the joy that comes with the dawning of the light. And so when we're surrounded by darkness, things can seem hopeless. But now we have seen that it's not all darkness. We may not be able to comprehend how this tiny light is not overwhelmed or how it's overcoming the darkness. But we can comprehend because we're enabled to see now where we could not see. We can perceive that the darkness, in fact, is not impenetrable, that it consists of as we described last week, death. And the light is birth, it's life, an indestructible light, an indestructible life. And Christmas then is about life, it's about birth. And birth and life in the midst of darkness and death, that's really thematic of the Christian faith. And it is the pivotal moment of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 21, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She's going to have a child. She's going to name the child He Who Laughs. And that laughter, that joy is memorialized in the name Isaac. And Isaac, of course, is the type of Christ. Christ is the true Isaac. He's the true he who laughs. And so Abraham and Sarah both, they respond with laughter. Sarah laughs privately. And then Abraham, it says in Genesis 17, 17, he fell down on his face laughing. And he says to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The absurd situation of being promised a child, though Sarah is barren and Abraham is so old as to be as good as dead, it's laughable as it's absurdly hopeful. The laughter is not simply doubtful. There may be an element of doubt, but it's not simply that. It's as one might say at the unforeseen but happy resolution of an impossible situation, unbelievable. Their laughter is acknowledgement of the absurdity, but it's not bound by impossibility or tragedy. The fact that they memorialize the laughter should characterize then the faith that arises around Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. It indicates that laughter is integral to faith. Abraham, in Paul's explanation, is the prototype of faith. This is what Christian faith is all about. Our own faith is to be caught up in the same sort of joy. More than that, Isaac 
or he who laughs. The laughter is fulfilled, completed in Christ. The divine and the human are melded together into what we might call laughter personified in the person of Christ. Christ is the true Isaac, the true he who laughs. Abraham and Sarah have passed much of their life faced with the reality of darkness, faced with the reality of death, but now life, laughter, has shown up in the midst of the darkness. Though good is dead, they always had the promise of life, and with the birth of Isaac, God has made a down payment on that promise. And so their faith is, I think, prototypical of what Christmas faith, what Christmas accentuates. The birth of Isaac was an impossibility. Well, so is the birth of Jesus. It's parallel. So is the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah. Mary is a virgin. Generally, virgins don't have babies. In both instances, God has brought life into an, a seemingly impossible situation. That's the whole point. Their situation is the human situation, the one that we're all surrounded by. A kind of impossible situation. But we need to recognize it. We need to look at the darkness and realize the great thing that God is doing in Christ. And this is what I think Advent has accentuated. We've taken account of death and darkness in mutually assured destruction, in the human orientation to death, in the human notion that death can be the means to life, in death drive. That's undone. I think it's undone in the birth of the new Isaac. Now we understand life is at the center, not death. Let me read a psalm. It's a, it's a fairly typical psalm of the rejoicing of David, a psalm of dedication and the name of the psalm joy in the morning psalm 30 i will exalt you lord because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me i cried to you for help and you helped me lord you brought me up from sheol from the place of the dead you spared me from among those going down to the pit to the grave. Sing to Yahweh and you his faithful ones. Praise his holy name. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I, was, I said, I will never be shaken. And Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. But when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turn my lament into dancing. I think we should be a dancing church, don't you? You removed my sackcloth. You clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Joy in the morning. 
describes Christmas. We've been through the night of Advent, but now we look to the dawning light, the birth of Christ. Darkness has given away to light. Death has given way to life. Tragedy has given way to laughter. Sorrow and sadness have given way to joy. It may have been Soren Kierkegaard who was the first to think and develop a deep appreciation for what he calls the comedic or the laughter element. And what he means by this is not silly comedy, but the idea of laughter in the midst of tragedy. It arises, he says, with the recognition of the tragic, but he says the difference between the tragic and the comic are that the contradictions in the tragic are filled with suffering, but in the comic, the suffering is relieved. By contradiction, he means something like a misrelation or an incongruity, like telling a joke. What makes a joke funny? We're thinking on one plane, and then the joke gives us a different perspective. A childless old couple, unable to propagate their name, face an impossible, a kind of tragic circumstance. Now, if they should go around bragging, you know, that they were able to have a baby, we might institutionalize them. Or if a virgin should say, well, I'm about to have a baby, we might be a little suspicious. But we know that given the promise of God, this incongruity, this potential tragedy, turns out to be filled with laughter. Mary's not deluded about her virginity. She's not deluded about being pregnant. That would be tragic. Our faith is that there is cause for laughter and joy in he who laughs. The tragic does not have the last word. Darkness and death are not the end of the story. The laughter is a joyous laughter and not the tragic laughter. There is tragic laughter that just throws up its hands. Maybe life is just kind of one big terrible joke. I always think Monty Python gets this tragic nature best. One of the scenes is there's a row of men being crucified and they start whistling a Disney tune. Always look on the bright side of life. Well, if you're being crucified, it's pretty hard to look on the bright side of life. I mean, what have you got to lose? This is the guys on the cross. You know, you come from nothing, you're back to nothing. What have you lost? Nothing. Always look on the bright side of life. That's tragedy, right? The tragic and the comic, they contain a deep incongruity. But the laughter evoked by the tragic, it's a suffering laughter. While the laughter of the comic recognizes, oh, there was tragedy, but it is outweighed, it's made relative by the promise, for example, given to Abraham, the promise found in Christ. And so in this sense, we can talk about Christ as comic laughter in the sense that Kierkegaard meant. That the incongruity is undone. What would be tragic turns out to have been filled with laughter and joy. And so laughter and Christ are synonymous. He who laughs is Christ. And to miss the laughter, to miss the joy, is to miss Christ. We know laughter or the comic, they're essential. I mean, what culture, what people doesn't have jokes, doesn't have laughter.
This is the thing that Sigmund Freud recognized. He said humor is a way of rebelling against the social order. It's not resigned, but it's rebellious. We don't accept things the way they appear. Deep and full joy, I believe, is a rebellion against the darkness of the world. You know, what evokes laughter in puns and jokes is that the ordinary flat plane of understanding is intersected by a different understanding. And that's the explanation, I think, for Abraham and Sarah's laughter. <laughs> it's impossible, you know, that kind of laughter. They've been granted life in the face of death, and laughter is their realization of the reality. That is, their laughter, their joy, is their hope. And so to Christian hope is to follow that example. It's the transition from despair. Despair is dissipated, and the reality that an alternative understanding takes hold. And that's the occasion, you know, they change their names to mark the formation of a different kind of human subject, right? It's not just Isaac that's being born, but they're reborn, they're reconstituted. It is their immediate and enduring response to God's resolution, their faith. And so as their child, or simply the promise of having a child, actually, turns into laughter, Christ is the real one who breaks into the tragic human plight. And so when we encounter the Christ child, the reaction, you know, this is what we see in the Gospels. It's the reaction of Simeon. It's the reaction of the shepherds. It's the reaction of the Ethiopian eunuch. They all go on their way rejoicing. That's the refrain again and again. They encounter the Christ child and they go on their way rejoicing. Kierkegaard came to regard a Christianity that does not laugh as no Christianity at all, a failed Christianity. The comic is a contradiction in perspectives, which holds, he says it's ethical, it's theological. He believes that subjective development, it's tied to our ability to perceive the joy, the laughter, the comic, making it both an understanding of the disease, the diagnosis. You know, we understand the tragedy, but we've moved beyond it. We're not caught up in it. So if you do not find laughter and joy, how could you possibly understand he who laughs? We should be the ones who perceive the joy, the laughter, the comic. Let me quote from, this is Ralph C. Wood. This is, he wrote a whole book on the comedy of redemption. Christ's deliverance makes life a joyful celebration and an endless delight. Belief in God's redemption yields no quarter to the grim visage and the humorless doubt. Christians are not humorlessly appalled at the world, but have gaiety and gladness and joy over God's redemption. Comic serenity, not anger and alienation, marks the believer. The Bible, far from being the unfunniest of books, contains the ultimate cause for laughter and rejoicing, and Christians are freed for singing and playing and dancing before the ark of our redemption. So what people laugh at, or don't laugh at, it's evident, it's, it's clear, as to their, in Kierkegaard's perspective, 
their progression along life's way. And of course, he's thinking here of that dead, serious German, Hegel. No laughter in Hegel, is there? This failure to laugh at forgetting, Kierkegaard said, you're a human being. He says this is tragically incoherent. He considered this failed laughter a failed Christianity, a failure to grasp the absolute paradox that is Christ, the divine human. It's a failure to grasp what he calls the infinite qualitative difference between God and ourselves. The incongruity of the divine infant fully embraces the comedic. Last year I was at the dentist, and actually the dentist had his drill drilling into my cavity. I, that's not the scene I wanted to paint, but it just happens to be. And over the, you know, the music at the dentist's office, a Christmas song came on. And it was this song, and I thought, well, here's the tragic and the comic all mixed together. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will someday walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. The incarnation, Christianity, is an incongruity with the way the world thinks. To laugh rightly is to embrace the world situation in all of its seeming darkness and tragedy. And to laugh wrongly is to miss the reality of the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. As we remember the birth of the Christ child, as we encounter Christ in the midst of the tragedies, the sorrows of life, I believe with Abraham and Sarah and a host of others, we can join in a kind of joyous, unbelievable laugh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.